0: Nehemiah two one through eight. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, "Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart." Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter of Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me.
1: May you be blessed by the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Last week we began this series called The God Who Builds. We'll be going for about 14 weeks total through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a great book for us here at Powell's Chapel. It shows us that God is in control of all things. We believe here at Powell's Chapel... That God wants to use all of God's people to rebuild what has been lost. If you um, have watched the news, even this morning I was in the office reading through the news and uh, you may have seen the shooting that occurred in Florida last night. Over 20 people uh, were killed and some 40 more were injured in a uh, nightclub shooting. Um, oh, we look all around us, there's brokenness all around us. Our walls are broken, Correct? And God wants to use us as God's people to bring His redemptive work back to a lost world. And so God uh, is going to show us through a servant, Nehemiah. My hope is that though the book is named Nehemiah, we can get lost and think that this book is about Nehemiah. This book is not about Nehemiah at all, but it's about what Jared read in that last sentence. It's about the sovereign hand of God using a servant to bring restoration to a people, uh, the people of God. And so I believe wholeheartedly God wants to use us here at Powell's Chapel and this community in a powerful way. We got to see just a glimpse of that on Friday night. That over 50 people came out for a movie and most of those people were visitors. That's God using us, His church, to bring redemptive work back to our community. God planted this church here 140 years ago for a purpose, and His purpose wasn't for us to be ever to be comfortable. We looked at that last week. We are not to be comfortable here. God put this group of people, us as believers, in this community for a purpose. And the purpose is a redemptive work of God. And God wants to use us as His servants. We're, we believe here at Powell's Chapel that God, this morning's message, is that God is sovereign. God is the sovereign God of heaven. And so, if we believe in God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty is in control of all things, and if He's in control of all things, He's in control of how He even wants to use this church. Here's what the word means. Here's what sovereignty of God means. I've taught on this a few weeks, uh, even in our series through the Sermon on Mount. What is the sovereignty of God? This is going to be very important for us as we go on in this message, not just this morning, but in this whole series, that there is a sovereign God that's ruling over all things. And so the sovereignty of God is this, is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission, That we have a God in heaven who is in this very moment over all things and brings control over all things. We looked at that last week. That God chose Nehemiah, the cupbearer, to be in a place to serve the king and it wasn't to serve the king but it was for a greater purpose. And the greater purpose was that God would use Nehemiah and give Nehemiah favor before a king because God's in control of all things to rebuild a city and i said this last week and i'll say it again this morning that god has placed you wherever he has placed you for his glory and for his purpose not for a paycheck the gratitude is we get a paycheck for where god has placed us the other part of that is god has placed us here god in his sovereignty could have chosen and placed us anywhere He could have placed us in China. He could have placed us in India. He could have placed us in Africa. But no, God chose you and chose me and placed us here at Powell's Chapel, here in Walter Hill, for a greater purpose. And I believe that purpose is, again and again, to rebuild this city. I believe that with all my heart. But it's not going to be us rebuilding the city. It will be us acting as servants of God under His control and His permission to rebuild a city. That's what we're going to look at here this morning. And so God is in control of all things. The rest of the quote is this. His purposes are all-inclusive and are never thwarted. Nothing takes Him by surprise. The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and the right to govern all things, but that He does so. Let me say that one more time. It's not that God can control all things and has the power to control all things. He does that, but he also does them. It's not you or I that does it. It's the sovereignty of God in our lives that does it. Also, and without exception, in other words, God is not merely sovereign in principle, but God is sovereign in practice. We serve a sovereign God this morning and we're going to look at Nehemiah how Nehemiah served a sovereign God that he believed that God had placed him in the place of a cupbearer for a purpose and that purpose was even greater than him just rebuilding the city you see Nehemiah was placed there as a cupbearer for 2,000 years before the greatest event were ever to occur you see here's what it says an uh, 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 amazing theologian says this, God orders, or God is sovereign over all things for the good of His people and the glory of His own name. God had in mind the future birth of His Son into a Jewish family so that He might die on a Roman cross for the salvation of His elect. The U-turn of the King Artaxerxes was one more link in the chain of the unfolding decrees of an all-powerful God. You see, God was going to use Nehemiah to rebuild a city that 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ was going to live. You see, God had orchestrated all things to point us all the way back to the cross. You see, the, the story of Nehemiah isn't just simply about Nehemiah rebuilding the city. But it was about Nehemiah being chosen by God to rebuild a city that his son, Jesus, would come and reign and show us what it meant for us to have a relationship with Christ. So the book of Nehemiah isn't about God building a city. It's about God rebuilding the city to bring his son into a lost world to give us hope. We're here because God used Nehemiah some 3,000 years ago to change the heart of a king. And so I, I, my hope is we don't just read Nehemiah and think, oh, Nehemiah went to build a city. No, Nehemiah went to rebuild a city because God knew where his son was going to be placed and God knew that he needed a city to be built for King Jesus. And so this morning, we have a sovereign God. It's not like God's up there and he's just thinking of things right off the bat to do things. God says, sees all things at all moments and all times and orchestrates all things for His glory. And so some 140 years ago God placed a group of young men and women that had a passion to reach this community for Christ. And 140 years later God chose you and me to be in these pews. And I promise this, it's not so that we're comfortable. It's so that you and I would be used mightily by the sovereign God of the universe to speak His grace and His truth and His kindness and most importantly, His loving forgiveness to a lost world. Do we believe that this morning? God is sovereign in control of all things. Nehemiah was used in a unique role to play a redemptive story in history. But God's involvement in Nehemiah's life is no different than your involvement in my involvement. It wasn't that Nehemiah was more special than you and I. No, God used Nehemiah the same way that God wants to use you and will use me. Do we believe that? Or do we look at the people in in the, the Word of God and think that they're heroes? Yes, they're heroes, but they're ordinary heroes the way you and I are ordinary heroes if we're obedient to God and God's sovereignty. That's what we see in the life of Nehemiah. God desires to use us in His redemptive work. He desires to use us to bring lost people to the King. Do we believe that? So this morning, we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah in chapter 2 and 8 verses. What does it look like for us? Because we have someone, Nehemiah, that shows us, hey, if there is a sovereign God who's in control of all things, then I'm just a servant to an almighty, holy God. And so for us this morning, what does it look like for us to live servant lives to an almighty God? We'll see these in, in five ways. The first way is this. As a servant of God, we must wait. We see that it starts back, Nehemiah's waiting starts back in Nehemiah chapter uh, 1, verse 11. Remember what we said last week. Let's look at verse 11. It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant. Today, and so Nehemiah had to hope that God would use him in that very moment, that very day, to bring a redemptive work to the people that were in exile back in Jerusalem. And yet, his waiting happened for four long months because in that moment, God did not give him success that day with the king. We see that in verse uh, in chapter two. Uh, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, that, that means four months. We talked about Shivlev last, m- last week was in the month of November or December. This is in the month uh, of April. That's what Nisan is. So four long months have gone by with nothing from the Lord. And so as I was studying this and reading this this week, I, I thought, how patient am I? You see, we live in a society that doesn't want to do patience at all. We, we invented something called a microwave where we can have food, a grilled uh, steak done in two and a half minutes. That's no way to eat steak, but that's the way we can do it now because of our microwave. And then we have a great uh, place called Burger King. Burger King says, do it my way right away. And so we live in this society that says, hey, get all that you can and get it now, get it today, get it this very moment. But that's so often not the way God works. I was talking to Jerry about that on on Wednesday. So often our plan, when we begin to think our plan is the plan, God begins to slow us down and then we get to look back at how God's hand was sovereign and in control of all things. Even the way that I got here to Powell's Chapel. Y'all had been without a pastor for months. And then by God's sovereignty, God brought you Phil Herndon, one of my dearest friends, one of my mentors, to shepherd you for a month. And then at the end of the month, y'all offered him the position, and he declined it. And I'm sure that was heartbreaking for y'all. But yet God in his sovereignty was saying to the people of Powell's Chapel, oh wait, and I hope the prayer has been answered I got something better for you. But see, if when we begin to do things in the timeline of God's timing and we begin to wait for God, the beauty is at the end of it, we gotta step back and say, we had no control over any of it. You see, if you and I don't wait on the Lord and we do things when we want to do them and how we want to do them, we can say, oh, look at what God did. But the reality and the truth is, no, we didn't really use God at all. We just used God to place His His name and stamp on something we did on our own. Therefore, we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. See, waiting will reveal to to us as servants, do we really trust in the sovereignty of God? Do we trust in God? You see, waiting takes a great deal of trust. How do I know that? Because I waited for a long time for Jenny. And there was moments when I'd cry out to God, Oh God, let it be now. I I want a wife and I want them now. And God was saying, wait. And so if you're here this morning and you're single, God is saying to you, wait. Wait. You see, God has a greater plan for you than even you know for yourself. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you have a desire for an occupational change and God is saying to you, wait. Maybe you have a desire for children this morning and God is saying, wait. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage isn't the way you want it to and you want to change it today and God is saying, wait. I don't know where God is saying to you this morning, wait, but if you believe that God's sovereign and control all things, then we will wait on the sovereign hand of the Lord. And see, the beauty of Nehemiah is he waited for the Lord, but he didn't just wait and sit. He waited with action. Nehemiah prayed and he fasted for four months. So often Satan wants to come to us and discourage us in our waiting and and pull us back and say to us, see, your waiting isn't going to pay off. See, your pursuit of the Lord isn't going to pay off. Your intimacy with God isn't going to pay off. And we begin to believe that lie and we pull back from our intimacy with the Lord. But Nehemiah believed in the sovereign hand of God and day in and day out and day in for over a hundred days cried out to a holy God. And we're going to see in his crying out, he did some other things. He trusted, he prayed, he had a plan. And at the end, he gave proper praise. Here's what a writer that I read this week said. Waiting time is not wasted time. In God's economy, there's no such thing as idle time quiet reflection may have provided Nehemiah with a fresh thought about how to present his case before a holy king. You see, if that day four months prior when he was before the king and he said, God, give me success today, I wonder how Nehemiah could have butchered that day because he hadn't waited and he hadn't heard the things of the Lord. His heart wasn't in line with the Lord's heart. His desires may not have been the desires and the passions of God's desires and passions i was meeting with a, a, a man this week and we talked about this verse in psalms so often we know the back half of the verse god gives you the desires of your heart but the front half of that verse is more important than the back half it's when you delight yourself in the lord that he gives you the desires of your heart You see, because when I begin to delight in myself in the Lord and I wait on the Lord, then two things are going to happen. Either God's going to answer my prayer and give me exactly what I desire, or He's going to change my heart and my heart will become like His heart. But I have to delight myself in the Lord. I have to wait patiently with the Lord in order to see what God's sovereign hand has for me. Another one commentator said this, Dependency on God does not eliminate planning any more than it eliminates hard work. But while Nehemiah was planning, he was also praying. You see, Nehemiah just wasn't sitting on his couch. Nehemiah was active in his waiting. And he understood the only activity that he could do in the moment was praying. The next thing that we see, a servant of God, is this that we will trust. Let's look at verse 2 and verse 3. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Remember that Nehemiah for four months had been fasting and praying and crying out to God. We saw back in chapter 1 that when the word came that the walls had been broken and his people were dispersed, that he began to weep. And so we know the sadness of heart was overwhelming to Nehemiah. And so the king noticed the cupbearer was sad. That, that was a huge no-no back in the day. You don't go in the presence of a king with a sad face. You fake it till you make it. But Nehemiah, had, he could not help himself but to pour out his heart and it came out uh, through his actions, through his look, how he looked. And then it says this. It's the sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. So here's the king. The king notices something about Nehemiah. What does he notice? He notices that he's sad. And in that moment, fear grips Nehemiah. Well, how come fear had gripped Nehemiah? You have to turn back to Ezra chapter 4. You don't need to go there this morning. But Ezra chapter 4 tells us the reason that Nehemiah is sad. He tells us the reason that Nehemiah is afraid. You see, because if you don't understand the context of what's happening, the context will, will, it blows your mind if you understand really what's happening in the day and age of Nehemiah because it comes out of Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. What happened was that there was a people of God that had already gone back in from exile back to Jerusalem and they had already had a plan to rebuild the walls. This wasn't the first time the walls were going to be rebuilt. This was the second time in about a span of 15 years that that the walls had been broken. God's people wanted to rebuild the city walls. And then this king, King Artaxerxes, he says, stops the whole deal. Uh, We'll pick up, uh, you can if you want, just a few pages to the left, Ezra chapter 4. But I'll read. This letter came to the king and the letter said this. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now, be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute or customs or tolls, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now, because we eat the saw of the palace, and not, we are, it is not fitting for us to witness to the king, king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king all that's going on in order that a search may be made, in the book of the records of our fathers, we, you will find that book of the records uh, and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to the king and the province. Verse 16. We made known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finish, you will be, have no position in the providence Beyond the river. Remember, Jared just read a few moments ago about the the place beyond the river. So here's what's happening. The the walls begin to get built. There's people that begin to see the walls are rebuilt. They send word back to King Artaxerxes and says, Hey, King, if this wall's rebuilt, it's not going to be good for you. And so in chapter 4 of Ezra, he says to the people, Go and stop the people of God from rebuilding the city so that the people of God cannot gather together and worship a holy God. And so the walls are again broken to pieces. And now here Nehemiah is before the same king and he knew that the walls had already been tempted to be rebuilt. And so of course he's going to be afraid. But there's a moment that happens in chapter 2 after he's afraid. Then he said, I was afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? when the city and the place of my father grieves and lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire and then the king said to me what are you requesting so and then we'll get to this next part you see the next thing the servant of God trust not in man we saw that in a few verses before that he understood Nehemiah understood that the king was just an ordinary man like him but he trusted in a holy God and in the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God, Nehemiah speaks. You see, he doesn't just get afraid and in his fear, stop. He gets afraid, but then he recognizes that if this is really true that we serve a sovereign God, then I'm going to step past and beyond my fear and begin to share my heart. And he gets honest. As servants of God, we can trust that God will give us what we need, amen? Do we believe that? You see, Nehemiah believed that in that moment, that yes, I'm afraid. You see, if God's going to use us here at Powell's Chapel, there's going to be moment after moment after moment that we're going to be afraid. You see, to be used by God is going to bring much fear to us. So I'm not saying to us this morning, if you're going to be used by God, you'll never have fear. No, we'll have fear. But do we get gripped in our fear and anxiety or do we say, yes, God, I have fear, but I believe you're in control? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. You see, if we believe that we have a sovereign God and God is sovereign and in control, we'll believe this verse. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper; I will not fear. Do we believe that this morning? The other verse is in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine. Paul is saying this. I, I believe this has to be true for us. We must believe that God is a sovereign God, and God wants to use us in a powerful way. And in our fear, we can come back to the Word of God and proclaim this Word of God to ourselves verse 2nd Corinthians 12 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness therefore I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ will rest upon me you see when I get into fear fear takes me out of control and I will surrender my will and my life to a sovereign God who is in control and therefore, I can say, "Oh, I will rejoice in my weakness because in my weakness I get to herald the power of God." You see, in my weakness, I can't take on anything of myself and point the finger at me. I must point the finger back at a sovereign, powerful God. That's what Nehemiah is doing in this moment. Nehemiah trusts in the power and rule, and reign of God. And Nehemiah knew, God has me here for a purpose, therefore I can trust in a holy God, no matter how bleak the circumstances look. You see, Nehemiah knew that going before a king, and going before that king, that that king already hated Jewish people. Therefore, Nehemiah knew, if I'm sad before the king, I could be dead, I could get killed, for even looking sad before the king. But oh, I'm going to trust an all-powerful God. It's what Daniel uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you can kill us, but even if you kill us, we're still going to praise God. Do we believe that this morning? Do we trust in the sovereignty of God this morning? The next thing we see Nehemiah do, and we must do the same, is that Nehemiah, a servant of God, will pray. Right? He says, what he, he says. hey, this is why I'm sad. And then in the moment, the king says to him, what are you requesting? You see, this is the moment in time that Nehemiah had been praying for, for four straight months. That there would be an opportunity to take his request to rebuild the city before the king. And now all of a sudden, the king has a softened heart and says, Nehemiah, what is it that you want and what is it that you need? You see, and in that moment, what does Nehemiah do? right after the king asked him the question, what is it that you're requesting? And what does it say? And I prayed to the God of heaven. You see, this is four months of preparation. This is four months of dreaming. This is four months of plans. In that moment, Nehemiah could have presented his plan. He could have presented his request. But Nehemiah knew in the moment, oh, God has given me a golden opportunity. Therefore, I must cry out to a holy God. You see, if we're going to be men and women of prayer, we must notice four things. It's the four things in that one little sentence that Nehemiah noticed. The first one is this, that there was a need for prayer. Even when God opened the door for Nehemiah to reshare his request before the king, Nehemiah knew the need to go before a holy God and pray. Do we believe that? The second thing is this, the urgency of prayer. You see, Nehemiah in that moment when he prayed to God, he knew it was more, in prayer, more important to pray to God than it was to present his request to the king. He knew, I need to take a moment of time because of the urgency of what God has given to me, and I'm going to cry out to a holy God. The next thing we see is the intimacy. It's who He was praying to. I prayed to the God of heaven the sovereign God. You see, all those months of preparation and planning and prayer gave Nehemiah such an intimate walk with the Lord. And therefore, when it came to the most crucial moment, that Nehemiah had an opportunity to go back to a holy, intimate God because he knew he cared for him. And the last one is this the effectiveness of prayer. He had the confidence in the Lord. He had remembered he had spent months and months and months praying to to the Lord for this very moment. And he believed that God was going to fulfill his purposes. So he went to God before he went to the King in prayer. Is that true for us? I love what this quote says. It's by A.C. Dixon. He says this, when you rely on organization, you get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on, upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. But when we rely on, the, on prayer, we get what God can do. You see, in that moment, Nehemiah didn't rely on his planning. Nehemiah didn't rely on his presence. Nehemiah didn't rely on where he was. What Nehemiah did was rely on prayer because he knew that God could do what only God could do, and that was to give him favor before a king. Do we believe that? Do I believe that this morning? Here's the next thing that we see. In that moment, he prays, and then he presents his request. As the people of God, as servants of God, we must have a plan. You see, Nehemiah not only prayed for those four months, but in those four months of praying, he also came up with a plan. You see, Nehemiah knew that there was a need. He knew that the walls were broken down. So Nehemiah knew the need of the people. Do you and I as God's servants here in Walter Hill, here at Powell's Chapel, do we know the needs of the people? Are we so inclusive of ourselves that we don't even know the needs of the people? You see, he was some uh, seven, 800 miles away from the need of the people, but he still knew the need of the people the moment it came to him and he said, hey, the walls are torn down. He knew the needs of the people. And so he says to the king, and so he says this, and so if it would please the king, send me. When I have given him a time, the king sent me. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I have come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the king's keeper of the forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Not only did He know the needs of the people, He had an answer for the needs of the people. See, do we not only know the needs of the people today, or do we as a church have the answer to the needs of the people? Do we have the answer this morning? You see, the need of the people is that lost people would come to know a saving God of the universe. You and I know the answer to the problem. It ought not to be a mystery what the need of a lost person is. The need of a lost person is to come to a proper understanding that there is a sovereign God of the universe that sent His Son to die a sinner's death so that they would be reconciled back to God. That's the need of the people and that's the answer to their need. But He didn't just stop there. Not only did He know the need, not only did He have the answer, but then He had a plan of how to do it. You see, I think here at Powell's Chapel, we know the needs of the people. I think we know what they need. They needed Christ. But I don't believe we have a plan to go reach the lost people. We just think, hey, if we build it, they will come. This isn't Field of Dreams. It was a great movie. But that's not what God ever called the church to do. God never called the church to build a church so that lost people would come to the church. God built the church of Jesus Christ, that's you and me, the people of God, to equip the people of God to go. That's what He tells us in Matthew chapter eight, or 28. Go and make disciples. You see, I could preach a whole other message on that word, disciples. God didn't even call us to make converts. God called us to make disciples. And making disciples is a whole lot messier than making converts. But do we here at Powell's Chapel want to get messy? You see, because if we're going to have the, we know what the need of the people is. we, We have the answer to the people. If we come up with a plan, the plan is to reach lost people, and to reach lost people means we're going to get messy. Are we willing to get messy for people? Nehemiah was. You see, Nehemiah, we'll read in the rest of the chapters to come, Nehemiah didn't sit back and just bark orders at people. Nehemiah got his hands dirty with the people of God to rebuild the city. Are we willing to get dirty with people? Because we see their lostness, and because of their lostness, we're burdened for them, and in our burden for them we will go and do something about it. Nehemiah had a plan because he had spent time with the Lord. And therefore, it wasn't Nehemiah's plan, but it was the Lord's plan. Here at Powell's Chapel, as the people of God, have we spent enough time with God to know the plan of God to reach the lost people? Have you and have I in my time with the Lord cried out to God over and over and over, Oh God, I know the need. Oh God, I know the answer, but oh, I need a plan. And I need your plan, God. As servants of God, we understand that God has a plan. And since He has a plan, He always has a way. Always. The ultimate plan is that God would redeem His people to Himself. Here's the greatest part of the plan of God. Here's the greatest part of the purpose of God. That God will never leave you on your own to accomplish His purposes. That God has given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purposes. It tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse, 8, or verse 5 through 8, If John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And He said to them, it is, not, it is not for Me to tell you the time or the season that God has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, if you are a child of God, if you've placed your hope and your faith and trust in Him, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you this very moment. Therefore, he tells us again in Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, God isn't going to call us something, church, to do something that he's not willing to do with us, and even beyond that, God isn't willing to do for us. You see, Nehemiah believed that. How do I know he believed that? Because it comes out of, he testifies about it in verse 8. And then the king granted me what I had asked. You see, in that moment, the king says, hey, whatever you need, Nehemiah, whatever you need to rebuild the city of God, I'll give to you, no questions asked. How much time do you need? I'll give you the time. How much material do you need? I'll give you the material. And so in that moment, Nehemiah gets everything that he needs to head off, to rebuild the city of God. But it says this, and the king granted me what I had asked. Circle the word for in your Bibles. For the good hand of my God was upon me. It does not say for I had a great plan. It doesn't say because I presented it well. It doesn't say because I was eloquent. It doesn't say because I, I, I wasn't uh, rude to the king. It says no, all this happened because of the purpose of God. And had God's good hand was upon me for it to happen for the good hand of God was upon us do we believe in the goodness of God this morning you see because if we're God's servants not only we're going to be believe in the sovereignty of God and that God's in control of all things but if God's in control of all things then the good hand of God is going to be on us and therefore we're going to get favor wherever he goes not because of us but because of the good hand of God that's on us And therefore, we can testify when God accomplishes what God wants to accomplish. It isn't because the king was generous and it wasn't because Nehemiah spoke it well. It was because God opened the door for his purposes to go forward. You see, God had a plan from the beginning of history. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God knew he was going to use Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was going to be used by God to change the heart of a king. And that heart's king was The heart of the king was going to be changed and therefore Nehemiah was going to go and rebuild the city and God knew that God was going to place his son there in the place that Nehemiah had rebuilt almost 3,000 years prior. Do we believe that the good hand of God is on us, Powell's Chapel? Do we believe that this morning? Because if we believe in the goodness of God, we believe in the sovereignty of God, then even in our fear, we'll go and leave this place and we'll present the gospel to every man, woman, and child that God gives us the opportunity to speak to. You see, that's what movie night was about. Movie night wasn't about some corny, lame, stupid movie that animals talk like human beings called Zootopia. No, that movie night was that God would give us opportunity after opportunity to speak to the heart of lost people. You see, in just five short weeks, we'll have an opportunity to bring the goodness of God to the children of God. And I'll say it again. I said it Wednesday night. We need everyone in this building and these seats to participate in VBS. It's going to stretch you. You're going to do things you don't want to do. You're going to have to wipe boogers. You're going to have to wipe butts. I promise you that. But do we believe that the goodness of God is for lost people? If we believe that, then we ought to fill this place with the people of God to reach the lostness that's in our community. I was talking to someone this week. And just maybe. God isn't expanding what God wants to do at Powell's Chapel because we of the people of God are not ready for what He wants to do. You see, if God wants to use us in a powerful way, then like I said last week, we're going to have to live sacrificial lives. And part of sacrifice is giving up your weekend and weeknights to come here to talk to little children about the goodness of God. You have to remember, somebody did that for you. Somebody did that for me. Somebody gave their moments, their free time up for me. And because of that, I came to know Christ Jesus because that person was willing to be like Nehemiah to be obedient right where God had placed Nehemiah and if you're here at Powell's Chapel and you call Powell's Chapel home then then I hope and I pray and I plead with you show up for the week of VBS so that little children would come to know Christ Jesus and in doing so we can begin to rebuild the walls of this city And in doing so, rebuilding the walls of the city will take dead people and give them life and give them hope and give them promise. That's what Nehemiah was all about. But Nehemiah believed in the sovereign God of heaven and that God wanted to use him and he submitted his will and his life over to him. Are we willing to do that? The response is this for us this morning. The first one is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? God as your personal Lord and Savior this morning? If you're a believer, do you trust God and do you trust God's sovereignty this morning? The second one is this. Have you surrendered to His plans? Have you surrendered your plans so that they would become His plans? Can you rest this morning in knowing that He will provide all that He's promised us? Let me pray. God, You are a good God. You are a sovereign God. You are a God that's in all, total control of all things, both in practice and in principle. I pray for us this morning, God, that we here at Powell's Chapel, would we really begin to believe in Your sovereignty and Your goodness. And in doing so, God, we would live lives like Nehemiah, We would live sacrificial lives. We would live lives of obedience to You. God, I pray that You would use us here at Palace Chapel in a mighty way to reach this city with the goodness of God. Continue to transform us and to redeem us as Your people. And then use us, the way You say in Matthew chapter 5, to be the salt and light of the world. Lead us this morning, I pray. Pray this in the sweet name of Jesus.
0: Amen. Let's stand as we sing.